thank you for visiting Open Life today. We're glad that you took time out of your busy week to join in with our service. If you're listening online or through the Open Life Church app, I need to point out two things for your benefit. The first is that we have our notes conveniently placed for you to follow along with the passages and points mentioned in the talk. The second thing I would like to point out is our connection card. If you fill this out while you are listening, it not only lets us know you visited us today, but also allows you to communicate any prayer requests you may have. We will be sure to take time to pray for them during the course of the week. If you are listening on iTunes, you can always visit us online or download the Open Life Church app to get in contact with us. Wherever or however you are with us today, we are glad that you are here. Now let's join today's talk. Luke 14, and we are just over a year and something into a trek through Luke. We've been going verse by verse through Luke. We finish on Labor Day of this year, and we're having a blast learning all these things. And Jesus now is in His final journey towards Jerusalem, and He is getting ready to, um, you know, give His life for us. I know we just celebrated that on Easter, but in our progress through Luke, he's getting ready to give his life for us. And so he's teaching just incredibly real truths to us. And we're going to unpack a few of those. And not only are we going to be in Luke 14, 1 through 14, we're going to jump up to Luke 18 because it's a similar teaching. And uh, you'll, you'll catch on to that here as we go. But let's jump in. Luke 14, 1 through 14 says this. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling of his body. So I guess now you know who I identify with in the story. <sighs> Pizza, bread, it's totally abnormal swelling. Anyway, so verse 3. Jesus, ice cream at 10 o'clock at night. Okay, here we go. Let's get my mind back. There we are, verse 3. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him on his way. Then he asked them, if one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? And they again said nothing. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then, humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests." For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Then Jesus said to his host, When you give a luncheon or dinner, 
Do not invite your friends, your brothers, or sisters, your relatives, your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so will you'll be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. So there's some awesome, awesome teaching here. The encouragement to live humbly, right? And we'll be blessed. To live humbly and we'll be exalted. We discover that the doorway to a blessed life is called humility. And we're going to unpack that today. It's not like a popular thing to go, man, if I'm going to get anything in the world, I just, man, I can't wait to be humbled. It's no, that's like not on the top of the list, right? But we see that, wait, so if I just develop this culture of humility, if I don't have a culture of entitlement, but I have a culture of humility, then what you're saying is, I'll be exalted or honored. I'll have an opportunity to be in the original place I thought I had to kind of like force my way into. And in God's economy, yeah, that's exactly what Jesus is teaching. He's trying to help him discover how God works. And I don't know if you've ever been that guy in that story. I've been that guy. And, and you know, maybe a banquet or a wedding or uh, wherever there's tables set up and there's like a closer place than other places, and you kind of go, where do I sit? Where do I sit? Now, someone once told me that when you're listening to someone talk or sing or whatever, it's, it, the best seat is an, a seat where you could see the wide of the eyes of the person communicating. And, you know, nowadays there's jumbotrons, and you can see, like, the blemishes on their face. But I'm like, like, so I would always try to get close. But when you do that, when there's tables set up, awkward moments can happen, right? And that's what Jesus is kind of explaining here. He's kind of got this, this moment where, oh, I grabbed the close seat because I wanted to be really close, but then all of a sudden I discovered they had yet to put out the reserve signs. Have you been in that spot? You know, oh, excuse me. Yeah, you know what? So sorry. This seat's for the family. And you're like, okay, shoot, you know? And I think as well, like, there's also the awkward moment when you walk in, and uh, this happened not long ago. I was at a funeral for family, and, and I'm sitting there, and, and, and we're, like, sad because my cousin died very quickly and unfortunately, and we're sitting there, and, and, um, and I'm looking around. I'm going, where is everybody? And then the family walks in and is seated in a place of honor and I'm sitting in the back because I didn't know I was supposed to go somewhere else to be seated with the family, and I felt like a jerk, right? So you could be in both those scenarios and just be in the wrong place at the wrong time, and both of them are pretty much humiliating, right? And Jesus is trying to help the people in the room catch this, right? He's really trying to explain it because it's awkward for everyone. As you feel awkward sitting at the table, it's really awkward for the person to come up and they have to debate, do I tap them on the shoulder and tell them, you know, really, 
we want the reserve guests up here at the table, you know? Are they going to do that, or are they just going to be a little more subtle and, you know, hey, skip, can we just get another chair in? Yeah, he won't leave. Uh, you know, right here, thank you, awesome, you're amazing, you know, and they kind of disappear. Or they could just do the silent, they walk up with the reserve sign, put it on the table. <coughs> they don't even say anything, and they walk away, and you're like, got it. You look around, the only other table's like, why in the back? So I've just learned start in the back right? That way you don't get uh, too embarrassed, and uh, it all works out good. Well, catch this. This isn't the only story Jesus tells. Jesus nails it in this first one. I mean, He really addresses the entitlement factor and the issues of, like, leveraging for authority and power and demonstration of who's, like, the most honored in the room, and he approaches that there. But listen to it in another realm, because he was talking about person-to-person, each-other-type honor. Then he's going to address in Luke 18 here, the parallel passage, he's going to address the, like, us-to-God humility issue. So here it is. Luke 18, 9 through 14 says, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. So he's saying to this religious group, one, a religious leader, the other, a tax collector. And that day, the most despised individual in their area. So, and then a tax collector today, the most despised individual. I'm just kidding. We just all did our taxes. Oh, does nobody else waits till like the 14th? I. Okay, I did. Um, So, here we go. So, this tax collector comes in and says this in verse 11, the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, and adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get right? But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, beat his breast, and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, the tax collector, rather than the other, went home justified before God, for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled. Those who humbled themselves will be exalted. How awkward, right? If you're the tax collector and you walk in and you're still at a distance, but you kind of can hear the Pharisee because he's looking around to make sure everybody can hear him. Lord, thank you. I'm not like the guy in the red over there. (laughs) I'm better than him, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. You know, that's awkward. And you go, who would do that? I was on a missions trip with a bunch of students And we were in Portland. We had just served all the homeless in the downtown area. We had washed feet. We had handed out meals. Everybody gathered in this little city center area. We're just loving on people. And the time ends, right? Our time allotment ends. And he goes, come on in. Come on in, guys. And so everybody's still there. Their feet are drying. They're unfolding the blankets that we've just given them. They're eating the food we just presented them. And in a loud voice, so that everybody in this square could hear, the director says, 
Thank you guys for coming out. There's a bunch of us there, so he's yelling. Thank you guys for coming out and helping us serve those. I know it was detestable to touch the nasty feet of those guys over there, and, and we had to feed those who are, have made such bad choices and uh, that they needed food, and we're just helping them. Hopefully, they're not going to hell, but I don't know. And, you know, so he's like, you're just like, you know, it was the most awkward moment to be in that group. I just kind of wanted to shrink away, take my shoes off and sit in one of the seats and act like I'm those guys, right? And I was like, I could not believe it. It was embarrassing. So this doesn't just happen in Jesus' day. Like, people do this still, and I'm dumbfounded that they do, but they try to make others feel lower than themselves. And that's of no value. It's of no value to try to bring others down so that you feel higher. Jesus is saying, no, bring yourself down because that's the highest position. It's the highest potential position in the kingdom of God. So Jesus is going to address issues of humility and honor and how we become favored and exalted where it will stick and not just be our own initiative and he's going to address this in both Luke 14 and 18, and it's kind of cool to where we can uncover how to open this door of humility ultimately. So, reading a bunch of commentaries and studying and getting ready, you know, for, for this part and just through the lens of why Luke was written, and I'll remind those, maybe you haven't heard this, Luke this, writes this book it's one of the four Gospels. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Luke specifically wrote this book for this benefactor. His name was Theophilus, and he paid Luke to write this book to go out and record all that Jesus did and put it into a story form so that those who did not know Jesus would know that Jesus for certain was the Son of God. So, it's like this proof text, right? He's just proving that Jesus was the Son of God, writing this for Theophilus. And so, the lens of Luke's writing is for those who didn't grow up in, like, God's lineage. Like, they weren't in the Jewish tradition. They weren't considered in the house of God. They were considered Gentiles. They had no chance of heaven for their understanding. But that's where Luke's going, wait, wait, Jesus changed the game. He comes in and writes all this stuff to help them know even they're invited into the kingdom of heaven. And so, through that lens, one of these commentaries worded this moment so good that I just wanted to read it to you. Um, the commentary is the New American Commentary from 92, and, and he calls this the Lucan message. And just listen to these two paragraphs. The hostility that official Judaism had toward Jesus and His teaching is illustrated once again in the Sabbath healing. Under the guise of piety, his opponents sought to censor him for the Sabbath behavior. Similar incident was related in Luke 13, 10 through 17. This incident gave Theophilus another reason for Jerusalem's desolation and giving of the gospel to Gentiles. Such hardness of heart revealed a resistance to the Spirit that excluded the possibility of faith. Two other themes can be seen in this account. One involves Jesus' greatness, His unparalleled wisdom, because man, uh, manifest once again as the one greater than Solomon continued to confound His adversaries. Jesus clearly was His opponent's master. A second theme involves the ethical implication of Jesus' teachings. 
As elsewhere, Theophilus saw that God's commandments were not about external conformity, but about acting with love, justice, and mercy. What better way to honor the Sabbath than to do good and to heal? What the law requires is love in action, not appearances. And the religious people of that day were about appearances, whether they were praying, whether they were hosting, whether they were reclining at the table as a guest. So again, Theophilus saw that God's commandments were not about external conformity, but about acting with love, justice, and mercy. Love and action. So since we camped on Sabbath day healings a couple weeks ago when we studied Luke 13, 10 through 17, I want to camp on the three parables here today and look at how they exemplify the opportunity for us to love and serve and impact those who need an understanding that they're invited, they have a seat at the table, and in fact, God wants to exalt them more than they can imagine. So, three points of focus in the parables that help us learn some great things about humility to open this blessed life door, if you would. You're looking at the invited, the hosts, and the humble prayer. So, first, the first point we need to grasp is you are invited. No matter who you are, no matter where you are, whether you're curious about God or not curious about God or just starting being curious about God, you're invited. It's good to know that you're invited. When you're invited to the table, choose the most humble seat. So better to be exalted in front of all the guests than humiliated in front of them. The reality is you'll most likely not get the seat right if you're the one who chooses it. So Jesus is just like, man, here's default. Choose the most humble position. If the host is going to sit there, choose there. If he walks in and sees that you need to be closer to him, let him exalt you. But don't exalt yourself because he may need to move you down. Makes sense, right? So I don't know how that relates to us in our daily life. Maybe it's where you eat or where you sit on your commute or how you get in line, the way you treat others when you get your seat at a game. I don't know. How do we look upon others? But here's the reality that jumps out to me, and it's in, it's, we hear this word invited, you're invited, you're invited, you're invited, you're invited five times in Luke 14, 1 through 14. And then there's these beautiful two words that just jumped out to me. He says, move up. I think the first thing we have to do is grasp that we're invited so that we walk into Jesus' presence, right? Because this is a story helping us understand the kingdom. The host, the master, the homeowner, God, right? So Jesus. So you walk in and it's like, Allow God to exalt you. But you have to get in the room first. But this is how he words it. Friend, move up to a better place. All of us have something in our life, and maybe it's hard for us to imagine. Maybe our story is like Steve's story that we shared during Easter. Everything was great. 
There you are. It's like, he's out there, I think. There you but it's like, you know, just the reality that everything is wonderful. Like, life was good, but then I discovered, wait, friend, move up. I have a better place for you. There's something better. You're like, really? Because life's great. No, there's, but there's still, if you move closer, there's something better. But let me move you. Let me call you. God's calling each one of us, and He's saying, hey, friend, I have a better place for you. So I don't know what you're facing. I don't know the challenges that are before you. But we need to seek out Jesus daily because He's constantly going, hey, I have a better place for you. Choose this direction. This is a better place for you. Here's a plan for your life. There's a better place for you. Don't live with that. There's a better place for you. So the picture of life to the full through Jesus is being painted here. And Jesus, sitting at the table with the Pharisees on the Sabbath, He's just healed this guy who maybe looked similar to me. Anyway, so, you know, He's healed this guy, and, and this guy all of a sudden, you know, goes away well, and He starts teaching this parable. And I don't they must not have realized who is talking to them because this is the ultimate example of humility Jesus is. In fact, it's recorded in Philippians 2. Listen to these passages, this description of Jesus. It says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit, one in mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And here's the descriptor. Verse 6, Philippians 2 says, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to His own advantage. Rather, He made Himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place. Again, did you catch that? He humbled himself. Therefore, God's economy, His law, He exalted him to the highest place gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow every in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Humility equals exaltation. It's God's law. And Jesus is the ultimate example of humility. He just, His words had to have been burning in their spirit as He shared this lesson at that table that day because He's the embodiment of humility. And we're challenged to do the same as Christ. We should, in community, be the perfect example of humility. It's such a powerful thought to me. It's a powerful reality. It's transformational if we practice it. It's, it's getting to the door and opening it for the person behind us versus charging our way in first. The challenge is the host. 
And Jesus has made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. But then he turns his attention from like, okay, you're the person at the table, but let me address you, host, because there's some issues here too. So point two, the true place of blessing is to bless. It's the host who has the capability to invite anyone who can come. It's tempting to position ourselves for blessing from those whom we invite. But Jesus says the position of blessing is in the reality that those being invited can't possibly, in their current reality, pay us back. And He lists out those people, right? He challenges the host. Hey, man, if you want to host an incredible party, this is cool. Thanks for the food. But this is who you should invite. And you're going, man, my comfort meter just went, no way. No, I'm not going to go some stranger, you know, and then I have to, like, invite him into my house. That's my personal space. Like, you're telling me, what, Jesus? Right? I mean, the host had to have been pushing back. It's like, no, I'm the religious ruler. You can't even associate with me unless you've, like, educated correctly. Like, what are you talking about, Jesus? He's, like, really challenging them. The blessing is in the act of serving not in the act of getting something in return for our service. And it's tricky to this day. It's really tricky to this day to discover this for us. I get to speak and, and, and train and develop people who are interested in starting churches in communities that don't have churches in the Northwest region, so the state of Washington and northern Idaho. And oftentimes when I'm training them or or challenging them, I'll ask them this question, and you should just watch their face go, hmm. And this is the question. Are you planting a church in a community because of what you can get or because of what you can bring to that community? Because it's interesting. It's easy for God to call us to a place that's growing and vibrant, and, and it has a Starbucks and, you know, all the necessary things. Starbucks, and then you, you all want to make sure it has a Starbucks, and uh, preferably with Google Internet versus that AT&T thing that drops you all the time. Anyway, so, you know, but it's like you've got to have you know, the important stuff, right? I want God to call me to that city, and then you, maybe you look at the economic reality or where your kids are going to go to a safe school, and, and it's easy. All of a sudden, a lot of pastors feel called to that community, and so sometimes as a, as a coach to them, uh, you kind of hold the mirror up and go, so what's your motivation again? Is, did you want easy and safe, or did you really want to do what God's calling you to do? And it's really uncomfortable. Fun, though, and uh, to watch them just, it kind of wrecks their mind for a second, you know. Your goal, God's calling you to bring the blessing through serving communities that are just desperate for what Jesus is teaching here, humble, servant. Let God exalt you. Let Him bless you. Let Him be your provider. Sometimes the best thing we can do is to look in the mirror and go, okay, was I doing this to get something or was I just loving unconditionally? Jesus wants us to love those who need it the most in our context. And he's challenging them here, the hosts, to do that. 
truly in humble circumstance, facing injustice, needing mercy, needing to understand the love of God because all representation of love has been vacant in their life and they consider their life hopeless. True hospitality. And I, I think of this hospitality word and I'm going, makes me think of when we do the big give and we have hundreds of volunteers out there just spoiling those who are coming to get food. No requirement. We're not like running their numbers through the ringer and saying, what's your income? Well, I guess you don't really deserve a free meal, you know, judge. No, it's just like if you got a voucher from your school, you come out, we're going to spoil you. We're going to help you to your car. We're going to love on you. It was awesome this last year. It was downpouring, and I didn't hear one complaint from a volunteer. Just true service to people who never can give back. School supply give, and we're there packing in all these supplies, and we're blessing Liberty Ridge Elementary School with 100% of their school supplies that they needed for 450 kids, and they're screaming, and they're excited about the donation, and we're just going, we don't expect anything back from any of them. We didn't walk around the room and say, here's Open Life's invitation, and we just come to Open Life. We love you. Uh, you know, we didn't even do that. We were just like, school supplies, here you go. You need these. It's going to take a weight off. We just want to lift the burden. I become incredibly excited about service opportunities like that, but I get excited about service opportunities here too. I get excited about greeting people on their way in and, and, and incredible teachers who love on kids and, and, and consider, man, how do we pour into kids or those who are chasing after students and showing up at their baseball games and, and doing whatever, just people investing into people, becoming hospitable towards others. Jesus is challenging us to, to host great kids' spaces and, and services to where people come in and set up a wall. Like, what? You know, but we do it so that it's a more hospitable environment and lights and a white wall this week. And, you know, whatever it is, just let's create, let's, let's do what we can to be hospitable. Jesus is challenging us as hosts. The gospel's so important. We see hosting a service as an opportunity to serve those who need a blessing. And hopefully somebody walks through the door that just needs a true representation of genuine Jesus. No desire for anything in return except for you to meet Jesus. This is why we challenge everyone to volunteer, join a serve team, because uh, the reward is in the blessing. The reward's in being the one who, who set up a wall or, or went out and, and stuffed eggs or put them on a field, and then somebody comes through the door from an egg hunt or, you know, somebody who serves a kid who makes a decision to grow up and, and, and follow Jesus or, you know, that's where the blessing is. Or the smile of a, or, or a hug or a, whatever it is. The stories just go on. Not only should we consider how we can, like, bless those who come, but we should consider as hosts of the gospel individually who we're called to and invited to go serve in our circle of influence. That God would open our eyes so that we could discern, man, who am I supposed to be present in the life of out there? I, I need to make a difference and impact someone's life. Yeah, I need to invite them, but I as well need to go out and, and, and get an opportunity to serve someone. God's inviting me to go 
and reach out to people. So who's some people? I heard this great message by Andy Stanley. He pastors this tiny little church in Atlanta. And he, uh, tiny as in like 20-some thousand. It's ridiculous. But so um, he is he came up with this idea of the three knots, and I wanted to share it with you because I found myself in the same scenario sharing either just like my experience with Jesus or an invite to church. But he says, really, when we hear these three knots, it's a trigger from God that this person could receive hope from me. And the three knots are these, and it's on your hand out there, but three knots, not going to church. If somebody says, they're not going to church. It's often in the context of they're not from here, they're new to the community, or church is not their deal. Then if they say that, that's an opportunity. That's a trigger to say, I'm supposed to invite this person. And maybe it's invite them into a conversation or invite them to church. The second knot is not doing well. We should be compelled to action when someone verbalizes that they're not doing well, or they, it's evidently that they're not doing well. The community of Rhododendron Park has not been doing well in the last month. That should be a trigger to us to bring hope to everyone in that neighborhood. Just let that sink in. This is like Jesus serving you up an opportunity. It's a blinking light saying, serve me, serve me, right? The third knot is not prepared for. Fill in that blank. Whatever that blank is, not prepared for parenting, not prepared for life, not prepared for transition, not prepared for the move, not prepared for what's ahead, not prepared for the report from the doctor, not prepared for, because there's only one person that can lift you up when it doesn't make sense and give you the wisdom you need to make it through a season, and that's God. So we need to put our trust in Him and get godly wisdom and direction in a season like that. So not going to church, not doing well, not prepared for, that's a trigger for us to become the host in this scenario and hear those words of Jesus, love them unconditionally, right? So these two previous insights help us understand that we should be humble with others, but then there's the final one from Luke 18 that helps us capture being humble before God the scene of the Pharisee and the tax collector, right? It's one thing to be humble at the invite table. It's another still to be humble and invite those who are facing trials and justice and need mercy. But what is it like for us to be humble before God? How is our spiritual humility? Because sometimes we can have spiritual entitlement and think, I mean, a lot of people understand you can't work your way to heaven. It's by grace alone. Jesus went to the cross. God loves you enough that He rose again, gave us a promise of eternal life by putting our hope in Jesus, by confessing Him as Lord, period, right? So we can't earn any additional love from God. He loves us unconditionally. He paid the ultimate price. So, but in our mind, we begin to tell ourselves, God, how could I get this diagnosis? I've served you. I, I gave in that offering to charity water to give clean water to people on the other side of the planet, and this happens? Come on, right? And we get this entitlement, and it's going, ooh, 
So Jesus isn't happy about that either, <laughs> you know? How different is that from the Pharisee? And maybe we do it in our own bedroom or wherever we're praying at the table, but it's like, you know, do we go, come on, God, I deserve, do we? Uh, not really. We don't. He loves us so much. We all deserve everything, but bad things happen to good people. It's what we do with it. Do we still trust God? Do we still come humbly before God and say, okay, God, I have no idea why you did this one, but help. Help. James 4, 6 says, He gives us more grace. That's why Scripture says, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. If we want to experience the depths of God's favor and blessing, it's found in surrender, humility, and confession. 1 John 1, 7 through 10 says, If we walk in the light, He is in the light. We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus' His Son purifies us from all, on, all of our sin. But if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just, will forgive us our sins, purify us from all unrighteousness. And if we claim we have not sinned, we make Him out to be a liar. And this is the big difference maker for me when I was looking at this element of exaltation and humility as it pertains to us and God. The difference maker is the reality that confessing a sin is one thing, but admitting that I'm a sinner is another. And Jesus is challenging us to do the latter. Just come on out and say, okay, like the tax collector, I'm a sinner and I need you, Jesus. That's humility. So I want to challenge your humility today and help you open the door to a blessed life. And I don't know who you are in the scenario. Maybe you've found yourself as the guest or the host. Maybe the prayer. But I want God to begin to challenge us to action. On the back of your connection card, there's a spot for you to indicate, man, this is what I'm going to do with this. But the worship team's going to sing a song. I'm going to pray. They're going to sing a song. And then John's going to come close out the, the time. We'll have a little connect time with donuts back there. But I want you guys to really contemplate, God, what area of humility do you want to work on in me this week? How are you going to open my eyes? Do you want me to be an inviter to those who toss out one of these three knots? Do you want me to volunteer to serve? Do you want me to be a blessing? How am I being challenged today? So God, let's pray. I thank you for the opportunity to walk through the doors of this school and create this environment into a worship environment. Thank you for the opportunity to open your word unfiltered and just see the challenges you present us in an unpopular area called humility. But yet there's such an open doorway on the other side for blessing and, and, and we just submit to your law. We submit to the reality that we want to humble ourselves so that you can do the exalting and so we can give you all the glory for promotion anywhere it exists in our life because you deserve it. And if anybody's in this room and they've yet to just take the risk of crossing the line of faith, 
if they've yet to say, Jesus, I want to pursue you as Lord and Savior, discover more about you, I pray that right now they would just pray this prayer with me and even maybe uh, lightly with their voice or out loud or whatever, but Jesus, forgive me. I'm a sinner. Forgive me. I'm a sinner and I just want to embrace you as Lord and Savior of my life and finally be free. I humble myself today and call out to you. Help me follow you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you have questions about anything you heard during this talk or have a prayer request, you can fill out the connection card on our app or online at livinglifeopen.com. If you'd like to join the mission of Open Life with a financial gift, you can do this quickly and securely through the app by pressing the Give button at the bottom or on our website by clicking on the Giving tab. Open Life wouldn't exist without the consistent and generous giving of people like you. Finally, it's great that you had the chance to listen on the app, online, or through our podcast, but have you ever thought about joining us for a service? We meet every Sunday at Bonnie Lake High School at 10 a.m. This way you can put a face to the voice you've been hearing through your ears. Thanks again for joining us today. Have a great rest of your week.